following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Have you heard about Moo Money? Moo Money? Moo Money is a rewards program that lets you earn cash every time you buy real milk. I use mine to buy movie tickets. Movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah. It was a musical. Uh-huh. Anyway, just head to MooMoney.com to start earning moolah. Got it. Moolah. Hurry, or everything I told you will be moot. Oh, please, no more moos. Someone's a little moody. Open to legal residents of the state of California, 18 years of age or older. Visit MooMoney.com for official rules, terms, and conditions. My name is Matt Perez, and my name is Satchel Drakes, and this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. Hey, it's Matt. Satchel is away this week at a conference, so I'm going to speak with Forbes contributor Dave Thier about the intersection of games and cryptocurrency. There's actually a significant amount in common between games and the blockchain, whether it's in-game marketplaces, gamifying the act of mining, or how crypto affects the sales of GPUs. So we'll get into that. But first, a quick break. And taking a moment to thank our supporters, Amica Insurance, Rocket Mortgage, and Veridesk. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. Uh, So with me right now is Dave Thier. He's a Forbes contributor. Uh, Thanks for joining me, Dave. Hi, nice to talk to you, Matt. Cool. Yeah. So with cryptocurrency, like it's it's a thing. It's a pretty dense topic uh, where half the time it feels like you're making things up like Dogecoin and stuff. Uh, but there's just like this emerging trend of gaming and crypto and how they're like related. So like I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. Like I've been getting tons of emails about games that incorporate blockchain technology. Uh, like a big one right now is like CryptoKitties. Can you like tell me a little bit about that? Uh, well, you know, I think... There's, there's two main reasons why the two sectors seem to align so well. Uh, the first is just sort of demographic and interest. A lot of the same people who are really interested in video games are going to be really interested in uh, crypto. It's a lot of sort of tech-interested people, a lot of people who, who spend a lot of time in kind of Reddit and kind of worlds like this. Mm-hmm. And so there's just sort of a natural alignment there. And then also sort of on a basic level, video games are one of the – places where the public at large was introduced basically to this idea of virtual currency uh you know farmville cash might look very very different from ethereum or bitcoin but it's still one of the first times people got around to the idea of paying real money for virtual things and uh, a premium currency in a freemium game is still can be considered uh, a store of value it's just very very limited value and there are some other games, you know, like uh, Second Life uh, or to a lesser degree EVE Online, where you do see things that start to resemble real currencies a little bit more because they're starting to be traded back and forth in a different way and people are starting to see gains that are useful outside of the game and things like that. And so I think it's a pretty logical next step to start to think about, as people are already thinking about cryptocurrency, to think about how real virtual currencies might be applied in these in virtual worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think real uh, virtual currencies is a funny term. I know <laughs> it is. It's like you have to be careful where it's like it's virtual, but like in a game, it's like everyone says like, oh, it's fake currency, but you can use it as right. you know on a marketplace. I think that's uh, it's funny when you look up uh, people explaining what a Bitcoin or the blockchain is. Like a lot of times they'll bring up that analogy of. Oh, it's sort of like uh, 
you buying cash and candy crush, you know, you getting tokens right. in this game or, you know, going to Chuck yeah. E. Cheese and you get tokens. So, like, and, I think and it's Bitcoin a, is still limited, you know. You can only still buy a certain number of things mm-hmm. with it. So it's just sort of a big expansion of that idea. Yeah. And it's funny. Like, I know uh, – I mean, my brother's big into a uh, FIFA Ultimate Team, and like that has its own strange economy, and it's it's like this almost hidden away thing that people are like now discovering makes a ton of money for EA, you know? Yeah, and you know, in some of these games, uh, you know, there's a giant black market, uh, which that starts to get into this idea that the value is not just in FIFA gold. But that that money might turn back around into real dollars, and yeah. you see places where you know a uh, number of years ago Blizzard tried to sort of leverage that black market by making a, an auction house for Diablo three with real money, mm-hmm. and so you see all these all these attempts to sort of bridge that gap between these ver- the premium currencies of free games and real and, and money that you can use on more stuff outside of the game. Some of them are above board, some of them are below board, some of them are just kind of right on the board, just kind of the, the gray market, you know? Yeah, well, that's the, th- that's the interesting aspect is so there's these games coming out, that, coming out that want to use this marketplace and actually use cryptocurrency within them. But we, in the past year, we've had like a lot of controversies around that idea, especially with like mm-hmm. Counter-Strike when they have... You know, you can earn skins within the game and then you can trade them on Steam. But then you can also, like, go to a third-party site and gamble with them, like their casino chips. And there are, you know, instances where there's YouTubers promoting it and they own the site and they get profit from it. So there's this whole other thing with it that uh, that gets overlooked when it's like, oh, we're just making a marketplace with cryptocurrency. Right. And, you know legislators are obviously struggling to catch up with a lot of this stuff. We've seen them talk a lot about loot boxes recently, but it's pretty hard to argue that loot boxes are gambling, uh, despite having sort of the same psychological levers. Because at the end of the day, an Overwatch skin is not a store of real-world value. It's a store of sort of personal value and sort of excitable value, but you can't turn around and buy a pizza with it. <laughs> that starts to get a lot more complicated uh, when you're looking at things like Counter-Strike Ghost skins and when you start trying to incorporate uh, you start trying to incorporate more versatile virtual currencies. And so if you want to get the legislators more excited about clamping down more quickly, uh, I think this is a great way to do it. Oh, yeah. Well, like something like, so CryptoKitties again, like... You, so with that game, you can trade the assets in that game, and it's like a coin that's I think uh, Ethereum based. I'm, I don't yes. know. Okay, I don't. I don't. I sound smart right saying that, but I barely <laughs> understand what I just said. Like you yeah, explain so I, it a little yeah. bit. You know, I think one of the things that so basically Crypto Kitties are just they're they're little icons, and you can kind of breed them and do them stuff and trade them. And some people want more this kind of Crypto Kitty. Sometimes this particular thing is going to become really valuable. Uh, and so people just kind of trade them around and breed them and, and, and make money, sometimes a lot of it, this way. And I think one of the reasons that it works as a, as a, a crypto game in that way is because it, it leverages the ways in which crypto trading is already like a video game. It's, a, it, it's basically you're putting cute little graphics on top of asset speculation. So it, you know, it, it looks basically the same as buying Ethereum and Tron and Ripple and everything else on uh, on exchange, except it's got graphics and a few light game mechanics with it. Mm-hmm. 
That's so yeah. It, it's I, I guess you always look at like the like the stock market. You know, it's always referred to as it's sort of like a game, and it, it's a. Uh, uh, it's sort of like gambling, but now, like, if you bring it more, like, this seems even more so. Like, no, we're actually making a game around it. Like, it almost like veers towards like a black a Black Mirror episode or something, where like you're yeah. mining for coins or something through gamification. Yeah, I think a lot of people have made that comparison. Uh, <laughs> the Five Million Merits episode. There we go. Okay, uh, I wasn't alone it, there. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Uh, you know, it's funny. I remember seeing articles a few weeks ago. It's like, can crypto kitties teach people about Bitcoin? Uh, and it's like, you know, they might be able to, but maybe not in the way you're hoping. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they'll teach them that that it's it's like absurd speculative nonsense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, because I do think that might be the lesson that you take away from playing a lot of crypto kitties. And I'm no expert in it, uh, of course. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that's, one of the ways that you see that even though these currencies have become giant business and huge financial organizations are getting interested in now, we're seeing, you know, the prospect of IRAs based on crypto and that kind of thing. It still has its heart in this kind of Reddit driven, uh, anarchic internet community. And so that's why stuff like crypto kitties makes a lot of sense. Cause we're like, you know, it is like a video game. Let's turn it into cats, you know? <laughs> yes. Again, what, what is, Dogecoin is like a big thing. Dogecoin. Like that's, that's oh, God, I remember. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, so Dogecoin, if you bought Dogecoin at launch, I think it, it, it would have been up 900 times uh, around January or something. Or maybe not even. I think at launch it might have been more than that. Anyway, you can make a lot of – and so people – the price of Dogecoin is skyrocketing in late December and early January along with all these other altcoins. Meanwhile, the creator of Dogecoin – is like he's out there on the internet saying like don't buy this we're not working on this it's nothing that's crazy and yeah. people are still buying it and you know even, and you can't tell them that they're wrong they might have made money off of it you know yeah well, it's it's all about like the belief in it and it's like if you believe hard enough it's yeah, not it worth turns nothing out to i guess be true. yeah yeah that's nuts well i guess like another aspect of it is uh I guess, like, on a consumer side, people think that, uh, like, oh, a lot of um, a lot of companies should adopt a model where you can, you know, exchange, uh, like, earn crypto in one game and bring it over to another. But I don't know if that's ever going to be possible with how big publishers work. Like, why would they yeah. take this virtual economy they have and they own and can control – and just go like, no, we're going to switch it out for crypto, which we have no control over, and may go to zero at any moment. Well, you know, I think what you'll see, because uh, I, I think that, that you're right, that's sort of one of the best arguments for crypto and gaming is that, you know, I currently have what you could call an, an investment in a dozen different currencies right now. I have SimCash, you know, I have Overwatch uh, money, I ha you know, all over the place. And mm -hmm. so it makes it does make a certain kind of sense to maybe centralize that. Uh but of course, a, a Activision has very little incentive to have you spend money in their game and then send it over to EA. Uh, but I think that you could see uh, maybe, you know, say King. Maybe if you spent money in Candy Crush Soda Saga, you could use it in normal Candy Crush Saga. 
that that makes a lot of sense to me, and I think you, there's some of the trepidation in this mobile world that things are working well now. Don't mess with it. Mm-hmm. But I think you could do you could start to see that, and maybe sort of expand. Maybe all Activision games could have the same premium currency, and the model for that is sort of like a casino, right? There's a there's dozens of different games in a casino, all of which are owned by the same company. Well, you know, at the end of the day, they're being operated by the same casino. And they use the same currency, you can cash out, take it to a different game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose it makes sense. But I, yeah, I, I think even between the Candy Crush games, would they even think to do that? Where it's like, no, let's keep it separate and people will buy it up like separately. Yeah, I mean, obviously they haven't yet, and uh, far be it from me to tell King how to make money. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, obviously keeping it, that's the whole idea of, of arcade tokens, right? Is that they're really inconvenient and that inconvenient, that get gap, that convenience gap gives money to the people who sell the tokens. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes Overworld podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. So there's a game, uh, I don't know if it's out yet or it's coming out, it's called Lord Mansur 2. It's like an MMO uh, that has a crypto economy and like the idea of it's you know you you spend USD to to get the uh, their coin that they created, which is another weird thing that you you could just create a coin you know and right. that all of it now can be traded. Uh, but uh, you could do that and then you know you trade your assets within the game, but then you can you can also you know just take it out in USD, take it out of the game. Uh, and that like popped in my head. I don't know if I'm like thinking too far ahead or I'm like not thinking in the right mind space, but like that made me think like, couldn't you like launder money through the game? I mean, you can launder money and all, all a- anywhere where large assets are being transferred, mm-hmm. you can launder money. Crypto is a lot of the time a really good way to do it. And crypto and gaming might be an even better way to do it. Uh, but in order to, you would need to, you need to have a lot of money flowing through the game before it was efficient for laundering money yeah it's not, also not, you know you could just buy a trump condo instead <laughs> true true yeah i guess it, it's also you know with something like crypto kitties it actually did get big but like there's all these games that are making their own coins and it's like well what if it's not a big game like so be it like it i guess like the coins go away yeah i think that's that's sort of one of the essential problems that you see with so many of these projects is that if you're a company and all you're doing is trying to make a game that people want to play, it's incredibly hard. Uh, you know, we see companies all the time throw a hundred million dollars of development, thousands of talented people from all over the world, and they come out with a game that's not very fun. Uh, and so, if you add on to that already sort of Herculean task, some kind of weird new economic concept, it's just it gets difficult. You mm-hmm. know, uh, you're you're trying you're trying to get lightning to strike 
in three, not just in one specific place, but like in three of them all at the same time. Yeah. I mean, just look at, it's also, you have to not even make just a good game, but it's a game that someone's going to continue playing for months on end. Like even like, you look like Destiny 2, like they're struggling to do that right now, you know? Yeah, to, like, exactly. Maintain that retention. And they're not even also trying to push a techno utopian internet yeah. vision onto it. <laughs> true, true. I guess uh, another, there's like two other segments I'm thinking of is I know a lot of people were clamoring for Steam to accept Bitcoin, but there's. Well, it did uh, for a while. And then they, they took it away. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, the transfer fees and it takes a while. And also, does Valve even want Bitcoins or do they want like a secure USD? Right. Right. And that's sort of uh, some of those are Bitcoin problems, transfer fees and transaction time and that kind of thing. Uh, those are particular to Bitcoin, and theoretically, uh, some of the newer coins could be better at that. Uh, but in the current, obviously, the third problem is volatility. That they're they're just not interested in accepting large scale payments and things that might be worth half as much next week. Yeah, uh, and it's just it's a headache. If you're a large company, you're it's just it's a headache. And so that in the current crypto economy is not something that's going away. And it's going to be a problem for getting any large scale adoption. Mm -hmm. I guess like in people's minds, if you had a marketplace that was exchanging solely crypto, maybe in, in their minds that brings back like the used game market for digital, yeah, I suppose that, what, that, what the thought process and blockchain is. would be good with that because, uh, you could sort of establish ownership and you, it could be more like the one game is the one game moving through the air. That's the kind of stuff that blockchain is really good at. Mm -hmm. uh, but also you wouldn't necessarily need crypto on top of that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That's more so in my mind, it's more about like the licensing between the, uh, within the marketplace, which, you know, again, publishers have this thing going where, you know, you're not really owning the game. You're getting a license for it. So why would they like if that's established right. already? Why would they even add on this nuance of oh, now you own the game? You know, right? But yeah, I think you could see. You know, it would just depend on who was doing it. I could see maybe GOG.com, yeah. which is a CD Projekt Red property. I could see them doing a project like that and people getting excited about that. Mm -hmm. Even so, they're they do good business, but they're a drop in the bucket next to Steam and even and Xbox Live and PSN. True, yeah. I guess the other part, like what you brought up before, like the first time I heard about uh, Bitcoin was a few years ago on Reddit. And obviously, yeah, like you said, Reddit community, like a PC gaming community, gaming in general, all kind of has similar demographics probably. Um but uh, I know my friend really hates crypto right now because he really wants to build a gaming computer and GPU yeah. sales have skyrocketed because of mining, which is, I don't know. Yeah, that's you... a, just a total pain. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Just a pain. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it calls into question just sort of the immaturity of the market, which isn't, you know, it's not a terrible thing. Every market is immature at this point. But you know, you're, you just know you're in a weird spot when people are gobbling up graphics cards to consume electricity to create virtual coins. That's, uh... Uh, it's, it's just, you, you just see all these places where it's just kind of, huh, you know, uh, and that's not to say that it can't become more established. It can't make more sense later on. Obviously 
a large Bitcoin farm is a very different operation than someone grabbing a GTX 1080 off of Newegg. Uh, but it's it's just one of the places where you see that we're really just starting out here. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, it definitely, like, if you did set something up, like, you definitely can make money. Um, it's just a matter of, like, already, like, it has that sudden, like, effect on this marketplace that's been established for years, which, like, generally when it comes to like changes in the stock market or or whatnot, like you're not seeing that dramatic of a change in maybe like your consumer buying habits, but like you've seen this like extremely dramatic uptick in, in in, a a prices for these graphics cards because of this, this new marketplace. Yeah. And it's just, it's the, the, the strange interconnectedness of it. it. It, it makes sense also it doesn't you know <laughs> yeah and that's that's i think one of one of the places where that that irritation just comes in you know I, I've, I've i've like anyone who's got a gpu underneath their desk i've considered mining at points but you just you just look at it just feel like it just kind of sucks you know you're just you're just pulling electricity out of the wall running this weird program you just think well this this kind of sucks yeah that's true that's, that's another Again, like it's it's one of those things where it's still an emerging market because if you look up like how it affects like you know how much it consumes in the carbon footprint and everything, it's like well they're introducing a new way of doing it where it's not going to be as costly uh, to the environment, but the top coins right now do not use that, and it's like well we'll see yeah. when it comes kind of thing. And, and I don't think it's not going to be driven by environmentalism when the new coins get <laughs> i think uh, jason evangelho wrote uh either yesterday or this morning uh about an amd uh mining rig that someone built that is act- it is a space heater it's designed to throw off heat wow. uh and the idea that we're using supercomputers to heat our homes <laughs> For me, there's a bit of a, a cognitive dissonance there. Yeah. Again, like most things in crypto, it makes sense, but not really. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like, if, if, if we have accepted a certain set of absurd circumstances, it makes perfect sense. Yes, exactly. Well, yeah, I uh, I guess we'll just uh, have to keep an eye on on this uh, this emerging trend and like how it uh, how it affects gaming more. Yeah, I know. I think it is going to affect gaming in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just very hard to tell right now what that way is going to be. Yeah. Well, Dave, uh, thanks for uh, for taking the time to talk to me. All right, Matt. Appreciate having me on. Yep. You having me on. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's how it goes. Awesome. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Up next, Air Kane and Paul Tassi talk about the newly announced Call of Duty Black Ops 4, or Quad I as I call it, and what to expect from Treyarch's latest game. Hi, I'm Eric Kane. And I'm Paul Tassi. And today, Activision and Treyarch announced the uh, the next Call of Duty game, Call of Duty Black Ops 4. Uh, not, the, not Call of Duty Black Ops 4 with like a Roman numeral 4, but Black Ops 4 with four check marks. Yeah, it's a weird play on the three logo, but no one ever really writes numbers like that. So I, I don't know. I'm not going to start putting like three eyes in my headlines or four eyes in my headlines. Right. No, that just seems really strange. Uh, but but it it I can see you know in the logo it, it looks all right. It looks like a shield. It does look pretty of. cool. I'll give them yeah. that. <laughs> um, and it, it does. I guess if they come out with Black Ops Five, they can do like a cross over like a tally. So 
that maybe that's that would actually be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be literally impossible to write in a headline, but <laughs> <laughs> it would be. Yes, it would that's be, fine. You'd have to, yeah, you'd have to. Um, there, there might be a, a trick to that. I don't know, but anyways, uh, Black Ops Four to nobody's surprise. Um, what pretty much everyone had guessed, even before there were any leaks and rumors, that Black Ops Four seemed like the natural choice for for Treyarch. Yeah, it's just the logical next step because of all the Call of Duty subseries, Black Ops is easily been i think the most successful i mean maybe you could argue modern warfare was but i think ultimately black ops has outsold it um and treyarch is i guess these days at least the favorite developer of franchises so i it kind of stood to reason that they were going to give them a fourth installment even as all these other studios are getting kind of new games with advanced warfare infinite warfare and world war ii and kind of starting over black ops remains kind of a fixture in the call of duty brand yeah yeah, it definitely makes sense. Uh, I, I'm curious whether they continue with the sort of futuristic stuff or if they're going to go back to a more near modern. I mean, the Black Ops, like Black Ops 2 was, was futuristic, but only just so, you know, maybe what, 10, 15 years into the future. Yeah, I've heard reports, quote unquote, are, are near future, which... I, you can read that any number of ways. Yeah. That could be like 10 years from now. I doubt it's kind of where Black Ops 3 was, which I think was like 40 or 50 years from now. Um, it, I, my guess is that it, it will open itself up to be boots on the ground as opposed to everyone flying around with jetpacks. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I think they understand that's what people wanted to see a return to. Um, but I don't think they're going to go all the way back to like Vietnam or something like that. Like go. Yeah. super super far back well one thing that that black ops 2 did that i really liked is that it had two storylines and one was you know set in in the modern kind of near future modern and then the other was set you know uh in the, the 70s 80s yeah yeah uh i really liked well, the that. multiplayer well, didn't the multiplayer in that use the future weapons though or yes. did it use both i can't I, remember yeah i thought i thought it used the future weapons i think it was really more focused on that um it would have been cool to have kind of both integrated, but I don't know how they would do that necessarily. But I really liked it for the campaign, uh, which I thought Black Ops 2 had a really cool campaign. So, Yeah, I've liked most of the Black Ops campaigns. I can't, actually, I don't remember the Black Ops 3 campaign very well, but I definitely remember the first two. Yeah, it was... And those um, were some of the stronger ones. The third one was a really weird campaign. It had uh, the guy from uh, Law & Order SVU... Uh, Casey oh, Jones from the old Ninja Turtles. Chris Maloney. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't think of his name. Um, and you, and he that. was like in one team, and you were in a different team or squad or whatever. But he was kind of went rogue, and you had to kind of track them down. And then it got really trippy, you know, with like a whole segment where you're in World War II, and it was, it was. <laughs> I, I enjoyed. I kind of enjoyed how weird it was, uh, but I didn't really love. A lot of a lot of things about it still. I didn't like it as much as Black Ops Two. Yeah, I think that was kind of the general consensus with three, but that's why I'm curious to see what they do with four and kind of what lessons they've learned from the yeah. past ones and the more recent games. Yeah, I mean, I would say that Call of Duty's campaigns have for years been kind of so-so. Um, it's just not what people tune in for, really. Right. I mean kind of these stock linear shooter campaigns are unless it's like an entire game dedicated to that, where it's like Wolfenstein or doom or something like those just aren't really in season anymore. So you mm -hmm. kind of get these half-hearted attempts at one, like I, the last couple of call of duty campaigns have not been terribly memorable. 
uh, so something like the the Battlefront two campaign where it finally had a campaign mode, but it was pretty <laughs> yeah. pretty average. I'd say one of the only ones that stands out to me was was the Titanfall two campaign where that was like finally a return to like a really good shooter campaign that was pretty memorable um, for all the right reasons. Yeah, but definitely. That was a rare exception. <laughs> well, that was nice also because well, Titanfall is. It's a really high skill game in the multiplayer. Like getting good at all the movement systems and mastering those is pretty tough for a lot of people, I think. And the campaign gives those players that maybe aren't going to get there and the ability to kind of enjoy the the mechanics uh, without having to get stomped on in, in multiplayer. Uh, although I like I like Titanfall too. Uh, I will in say, in contrast, Call of Duty campaigns do almost nothing to prepare you for multiplayer because no. it's it's just way easier. I mean, the campaign is like auto aim. Like you, you snap to enemies like instantly. And I guess on like super insane difficulty, you just can't take any shots before you die, but it doesn't really prep you very well. I'd say for, uh, the multiplayer in most instances, because yeah. it's just, it's a totally different playing field. You know, I didn't, I didn't hate, uh, infinite warfare's campaign. I thought they did a lot of good stuff with that campaign. Um, it, yeah, it, it was. Yeah. It, 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 they it had some to play that right after Titanfall, though. It was like yeah. it was just. It was like a worse version of the Titanfall campaign. I did like the <laughs> stuff they did with base hijacking and stuff. It seemed like the basis for like a really cool, different game, where like yeah. it, it was like could be in the vein of Call of Duty, and it's kind of free roam, and you could surf around on a spaceship and go to different missions. But ultimately, it, it still just wasn't very long, and it still ended up being pretty linear. So I, yeah. I do agree there were good aspects of that. It was just. You know, you know, I think, though, that a short, linear campaign really can be pretty good. I mean, if you look at um, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare's campaign, I still replay that campaign on a regular basis. I like that it's not too long. I can get through it. And I just think it still has such interesting levels, and I, I, I find it very memorable, and I enjoy it quite a lot. Um, but and, and, and I would say also, like, Black Ops 2, I thought that was a really interesting memorable campaign so i think it can be done i just i think that that they're that they're rightfully focusing more on multiplayer which is where the meat of the call of duty franchise lies really well especially with monetization now it's yeah every all the monetization whether it's map packs or microtransactions or whatever is obviously focused on either multiplayer or zombies Mm because now every call of duty game is zombies so it's it's very much based around that and there's kind of nothing else to extract from i wish campaign you know, I know there's going to be zombies in Black Ops 4, but I wish one of the other developers like Infinity Ward or Sledgehammer would do something other than zombies. They, I don't... they were for a while. Like, I'm sure you remember back when they had like Spec Ops missions and, and kind mm-hmm. of things like that where it was like this different third pillar. But I'm guessing they just looked at the numbers and just people were not playing those anywhere near yeah. know, how they were playing zombies. So they're like, screw it, zombies in every game. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm still, I don't know, I'm waiting for Call of Duty to kind of evolve into something different where I'm wondering if we get a dedicated zombies game ever. I'm wondering if we're going to get one just where they just scrap the whole campaign and just not do it because they don't think it's worth it anymore. I, mm-hmm. We haven't run into that yet, but Call of Duty does kind of stand alone in the sense where it is kind of going hard at these three different pillars, campaign, multiplayer, and, and zombies, whereas other games it can often feel like you're getting less where you maybe have like two of those or like one and a half of those Mm -hmm. and like kind of value wise, I guess that kind of makes call of duty a pretty solid proposition in this day and age, Yeah, which sounds very corporate, but (laughs) I think comparatively to a lot of other titles, it's, 
there's there's a good amount in that package. Yeah, I mean that's one thing I remember when Black Ops Three came out that I that I really thought about the game was that you really get a lot for your money. I mean, you get a you get an interesting campaign, whether you like it or not. There is there is a campaign. There's a, a you know a pretty robust zombies mode. There's robust multiplayer, and then they had like mini games and stuff also packaged into that. So there was quite a lot of content, uh, even if you didn't end up buying you know the season pass or anything. Uh, so I, I do think that, that that that's one reason why it is such a big selling game every year. I mean, it, it's mostly the multiplayer and then the zombies, but just having all that complete package, I think it would be possible, but I think Activision would be taking a risk to get rid of the campaign. I mean, for one thing, it's a big part of their marketing, you know, having that, they can have story trailers, they can have a sort of a theme that ties the multiplayer maps together. They can do a lot with that. And if they, if they just ditched it completely, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but it, it might, there might be some unintended consequences with that. Yeah. The cost might outweigh the benefits of, of ditching it. So yeah. if they haven't done it by now, I, maybe they won't do it. <laughs> and I think they like attaching kind of recognizable actors and stuff to the franchise. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, barring uh, the Kevin Spacey association is not great anymore. But... <laughs> but he was the bad guy. So it works. True, true. <laughs> and he was already creepy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, ever since um, American Beauty, I thought, man, this maybe seven, actually. I should go back further. Seven. Kevin Spacey's always been creepy. So. Yeah, uh, that's kind of his thing. <laughs> actually, Advanced Warfare, where he was the villain, that, that wasn't a terrible campaign either. I mean, I, I, feel, I feel like the, you know, overall Call of Duty puts out like decent but not great campaigns for the genre i think they're i mean they're usually ahead of something like battlefield i mean battlefield has had yeah. one or two okay campaigns but i'd say on average call of duties are better yeah well i would just i'm, I'm in the call of duty camp when it comes to that that big rivalry so i'm biased but <laughs> yeah, I, I am as well and also biased i mean you play even more call of duty than i do these days but yeah. i just well, i i find it very hard to get into the battlefield battlefront style of shooters mm-hmm. especially when there's just so many other shooters I like way more. Like I'd rather play Call of Duty, Destiny, like Fortnite, like oh, yeah. and pretty much most okay. other shooters over kind of the Battlefield style. I just don't really like how that feels. Yeah, I feel like I should like it more than I do, but for whatever reason, whenever I start playing, I just, I just, I, I lose it my attention. I just, I can't get into it. I don't uh, like the Frostbite engine. For, I don't really either. For shooting, it just doesn't feel for very anything. good. It just that's, looks pretty. That, no, that's. I mean, that's the problem with pretty much all EA's games. Is like everything. They took the engine that is not <laughs> not that great in the first place, and now they're making all their other games mm-hmm. with it, and they all just feel kind of off to me in a way that I don't really run into that with most other engines. Like all the other engines aren't really noticeable to me, but Frostbite, I don't know. It, it yeah. looks it looks great. Obviously, I think it's the best looking engine these days for the most part. But whether it's Mass Effect or or Battlefield or Battlefront, it's just it's the feel yeah. of it is just off to me. Dragon Age that just didn't seem right at all. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we'll be right back after this quick break. Traditional static offices are a thing of the past. Today, companies and employees want an active workspace. Veradesk helps people reimagine their office design. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health by boosting energy and productivity. Veradesk Active Workspace Solutions make it easy to encourage more movement in a day. The new ProDesk 60 electric standing desk is the cornerstone of the active office. It's designed with commercial-grade materials, stable at any height, and fully assembled in under five minutes. Plus, all Veradesk products are made to last. They're also simple to set up and move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. Check out Veradesk products, including the new ProDesk 60 electric, risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns. 
Learn more at Veridesk.com slash Forbes. That's V-A-R-I desk.com slash Forbes. This podcast is brought to you by Amica Auto Home and Life Insurance. When you call Amica, you can expect a different experience because Amica is all about customer service that goes above and beyond the ordinary. You always get the help you need when you call Amica. Visit meetamica.com slash Forbes today. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fun hunting for your brilliant brunch Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! So yeah, I I have been playing. I would say that <laughs> for the first time in years, I would say that Call of Duty has completely absorbed my a b- very large portion of my gaming time. So I play. Are you still playing World War II? I'm still playing World War II every wow. week. A, I mean, I'm prestiging wow, and all this stuff. I I, I <laughs> and I'm often getting you know first or second place in rounds. Like I can't believe it, honestly. I just I love I love it. I love the multiplayer. I, I love going. I do is as corporate sounding as it is, the boots on the ground thing really works for me. Like they definitely just got it, got it right. And, uh, I enjoy the war mode quite a bit. I mean, I have the season yeah, pass, really so cool. the new, I, I was really excited for when the new war mode, uh, map came out and, uh, yeah, I'm more, I'm more into this call of duty than I have been in gosh, maybe, you know, in years and years and probably, and, and really, honestly, back in the day when Call of Duty was getting really big, I was more of a Counter-Strike player. Uh, so I played a lot more Counter-Strike Source and Team Fortress 2 and things like that than I was Call of Duty. So really, for me, this is this has been kind of the big year for Call of Duty. I've really gotten into it a lot more. And I think it's because they've just they did a lot of things right. Um, and it's just it's I guess it's just an easy game to get into and, and and play, kind of like Fortnite or PUBG. You can just get in and play for a little while. You don't have to invest a ton of time. And uh, they have a good they have a lot of good feedback loops going with like rewards to get loot boxes and stuff, um, or get new weapons, things like loot that. Boxes that are not terrible <laughs> or less terrible than other games, at least. Yeah, but I mean, no, I mean, you're not alone because like. World War Two is, I think, doubled at least doubled uh, whatever Infinite Warfare put yeah. up. So it's, it's just much more fun, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of way better in every way, and it, it pretty much avoided any real controversies. And like at the time, that yeah. was when Battlefront Two was just getting lit up. Yeah, and so Call of Duty just quietly kind of downplayed their boring loot boxes, and there wasn't like the, the biggest <laughs> controversy was what that you could spectate loot box openings and like that. That was stupid, but it didn't really like. It wasn't like an yeah. actual bad thing. <laughs> well, and I wrote about how it was kind of tasteless to have these loot boxes falling onto the beach <laughs> of Normandy, you know. But you know, they justify it by saying, "Well, you know, they, that's where the base camp is, and that's where like supply drops would come." And I mean, it's stupid, but it they're really the spectating and all that doesn't make them any more unpalatable than any other loot boxes. They're they're, they're just they're right up there with you know Overwatch or something like that. It, it's right. It's I don't like loot boxes. <laughs> I, I really don't. And I wish that there was a better system. But you still get one nice thing about Call of Duty is that you're leveling up constantly. And as you level up, you unlock guns, you unlock attachments, you unlock camos and all these other things. And so that whole progression system is, is very much intact. And so there's lots and lots of ways to just play and improve what you have. And that feels good on a sort of progression level. Whereas, you know, in something like Overwatch, you don't 
you're not unlocking stuff. You're just getting loot boxes. Uh, and so there, there, that is kind of, I kind of enjoy that. Um, and the other things like 300 ranked wins and get like a golden gun. Yeah. Yeah, There you go. That's never going to happen for me. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So I think that world war two kind of does point the way to some degree for black ops four, at least where, where I'm coming from. And the big thing is you mentioned already is boots on the ground. Uh, I think well, but that I yeah. guess the one caveat I'd say is the Black Ops Four has been in development for three years, so right. I, I guess they could have predicted that everything was going to switch back to boots on the ground. That's what people wanted, but I, I also wonder if they may have had to like, kind of reverse course and cut some jetpacks out of the game or something if they didn't mm-hmm. kind of catch that right away. And I mean, my my guess, and we don't have this confirmed, is that they won't have this stuff. That they won't have wall running and jetpack boosting and all that stuff. Uh, even if it is a near future setting, but it is kind of the la- it could have been a last minute change given that they didn't really know for sure how World War II would be received. Yeah, and if like this generation of new Call of Duty players that the last I don't know four or five years have been playing games with jetpacks, like would would want to go back to boots on the ground because it's a totally yeah. different style, and like clearly that panned out, but may not have known that at the time. Well, yeah, and it's not like a change that you can just sort of wedge into the game because you know when you have wall running and and double jumping and all that stuff you have to build your maps around that right so yeah exactly every black ops 3 map or infinite (laughs) warfare map is built with like gaps that you can run across the wall on and i'm just picturing like a bunch of maps like that in this game where (laughs) that have all these like clear wall running walls that you just can't (laughs) you just can't use like oh pay no attention to (laughs) we're revolutionizing this revolutionizing the series with by giving you maps that are 50 percent dysfunctional like oh yeah that's that's one thing i wanted to touch on so in the press release it it literally says nothing about the game other than black ops 4 will revolutionize call of duty and like i guess that could just be pr speak or whatever but i guess i'm wondering if you if you think it will be doing something significantly different other than just like black ops campaign multiplayer shooting and then a good zombies mode and i guess what i'm getting at is if you think they're gonna have a something significant like a big uh battle royale component or something like something new like that yeah well i'm that's so hard to say um because sometimes it's just marketing and you know they're like this is going to revolutionize everything because you know in black ops 3 you could play the whole thing in split screen the whole campaign and that's revolutionizing everything and (laughs) it doesn't really um you know and we've seen uh call of duty online in china toying around with the battle royale mode i think it's a 16 player battle royale yeah, doesn't even work i'm like because it's not really like you could have a 16 player thing and have it be like elimination and like last man standing and like guess like maybe finding guns on the maps like i haven't seen how the chinese one yeah. works but i assume it's something like that but like yeah compared to fortnite or PUBG, where it's this enormous map and a hundred players and i just i don't know how they can just insert something like that in the game especially when they have all these other modes they need to have like you can't just they're not going to cut multiplayer or zombies or the campaign. So they'd have to right. add a fourth huge thing, <laughs> yeah. with, you know, some sprawling map. And like, I, I just, I wonder if they did that, what their version of that would really look and play like, because just 16 player elimination doesn't sound like that would be kind of the same filling the same niche. You know what I mean? Or like be really competitive. It, it, it would certainly like not be, like those games in that regard I, i've watched some of the chinese version and it's you know they the maps are basically just 
bigger than a normal Call of Duty map, but nowhere near the size of, of a Fortnite or PUBG map. And then it's it's really theatrical. There's an announcer, and it's it's like people are watching. It it, it kind of takes that Hunger Games idea where there's like a, a hidden crowd that's all observing and an announcer that announces when someone gets killed. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun. It's it's kind of a fun concept. It it feels really foreign to what we're used to with Call of Duty, of course. But but I could see it working just because you know in in those games, well, they're third person for one thing, and there's a lot of downtime. Whereas I think that in a call of duty version, it would be somewhere between that and just a free for all, which, you know, is like an eight player match where you just try to kill, you know, you just try to kill everyone. Um, but, but, you know, with 16 players in a, in a larger call of duty map, I could see it just kind of being kind of like the end of a PUBG match where the, where the circle has gotten smaller and it's a, a quick sort of brutal firefight there at the end. Um, and then, you know, if you're finding guns instead of starting with a loadout, I could see how it would work, but I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't think it's likely that there's going to be a battle royale mode. I think it's too at soon. At all? You don't, you don't think there will be one? No, I don't think it this year. Attempt at one? Interesting. Okay. I, I don't th- I just don't see. I, th- I feel like it, it is was, too soon. It's for... also a development issue, too, yeah. because when you think about it, I mean, PUBG was just last spring, mm-hmm. and then Fortnite really is only blown up to this degree, like now, mm-hmm. <laughs> like in the last three months. So. I, I, so, I think you yeah, could when be right. They, and when would they it, have started that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that's not really like it's it's not really something you could throw in last minute unless it's just kind of you know scrambled together, which probably would mean the quality isn't great. Right. Um, I I really like the concept of it, and I think it could be done well. It's just a question of how it would be integrated into yeah. the existing kind of structure. And like I don't I don't even know who's going next. Like, is it such hammer next year? It's, I, I, it's infinite Infinity War. Is next year. Okay. Uh, oh, Infinity um, Ward. I, I what yeah. was their last one? Infinite Warfare. And then, oh yeah, okay. And then Sledgehammer with World War Two, and now Treyarch with. Well, Black I certainly Ops don't think they're going to do Infinite Warfare two, considering that sold very badly. No. <laughs> that would be my guess. Um, no, I don't think so. Definitely. I still not. want them Probably to be my Ghost zombies too. only game, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be <laughs> great. We'll That's a great happens. idea. But I, yeah, I guess I could see that more in that one. I do wonder if they're going to commit that hard to it, because like, who knows what the state of, right. you know, the battle royale genre will even be, I guess, essentially two years from now, a year and a half from now. And they could, you know, put all this effort in to find people have either mm-hmm. committed so hard to like Fortnite or something like that, or it's just kind of over where you saw all those other hero shooters trying to be overwatch. And then pretty much none of them were. And then the genre <laughs> is already, is already kind of moved down. Like overwatch remains a fixture, but nothing really ended up competing with it in any meaningful capacity for the most part. So paladins and stuff, I, yeah. Yeah, if when your number one thing is paladins, it's not really. <laughs> same I mean and same with the whole MOBA concept like thing yeah, people like, like try to jump onto these. I think I think that Call of Duty needs to play to its strengths and in that vein I think that I I really hope that Black Ops 4 has a war mode like World War 2 because I think that could be super cool in a more modern you know, a modern warfare setting. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I also just don't think it's necessary. Like Call of Duty is such a behemoth. It doesn't need to really chase these trends if it doesn't want to. Cause right. I mean, World War II sales, it's like, it's the best selling game of the year every year. So mm-hmm. I, I don't really know if they need to be like, Oh, we need to keep up with, you know, the latest thing and we have to do battle royale. Cause that's like all the rage now. Like they're, they're big enough to kind of insulate themselves from, from chasing the wheel like that. But 
I don't know. I we do have think seen that other they, people do that, but yeah, they need to keep innovating with with what what's on offer. That's what World War II with War Mode did so well is that they they took the basic gameplay of Call of Duty multiplayer, but then they made these objective based multi stage maps that. Are, are pretty simple, but they, you know, they're interesting. You know, you've got, you know, building the bridge, you've got, which can be so frustrating. <laughs> you've got, uh, you know, in the, in the new one, in the DLC, you have to rescue hostages and then you have to destroy all this radio equipment and then you have to guide a tank. And so each stage is a little different and you can, you can win or lose at any point in that. Uh, well, the defenders can win if they stop you. And it just adds a whole new way of playing Call of Duty that's, that, that doesn't have score streaks. That uh, is very uh, that, that players who want to play more objective-based stuff rather than just getting as many kills as possible can can thrive in, um, and that's a really cool little innovation. I think it's one of the best things about uh, World War II. I, I, I think it's I think it's something that should become a standard thing in every Call of Duty release, and but it's not you know it's not following some battle royale trend or anything. It's just it's just playing to the strengths of the game that. That, and then adding some new, you know, making a game for like people who like to play domination. Like that's, I, that's why I think I like war mode the most. Cause I like playing domination the most uh, if I'm not playing war mode and yeah. that's playing an objective. And I feel like I really enjoy playing objectives. Uh, so if, if they can just play, you know, and I don't know if that's going to be an, another kind of game other than, or mode than, than war mode. But I think if they can keep on pushing that kind of change, making additions that make sense to the the franchise, I think that's where they're going to see a lot of success. It doesn't have to be battle royale, you know. Yeah, and I don't think like the kind of current shooter landscape is really going away. Like, there's still a need for competitive shooters that aren't Fortnite, and there there really aren't mm-hmm. that many kind of rivals in the genre. It's like Call of Duty, Battlefield, I guess Rainbow Siege and CS:GO are like the main ones. Yeah, and there's there's still it it hasn't really fallen out of favor per se. I mean. Yeah. I mean, look Maybe at Rainbow Six Siege. the most streamed, the most esports thing anymore. But I mean, Call of Duty is still a sales monster. So I, I yeah. think it's it's still kind of in its prime to a certain extent, even if it's not breaking every record on earth like it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I, th- I think you're right. I think it's just kind of smaller changes rather than grand overhauls, at least based on kind of recent recent trends. Yeah, just fun new modes. And, and and if they do do a Battle Royale, I hope they keep it contained. I don't want to see a 100-player Call of Duty Battle Royale. I just think that would miss the point so, so much. So, I feel yeah, like that could be do, fun, but it would have it to be – I feel be, like yeah. it would have to be like a separate game. I, I, I wouldn't want that yeah. just like jammed into an existing Call of Duty mode. I think it could be a fun experiment where if they just mm-hmm. did a dedicated like – here's a $30, $20 Call of Duty Battle Royale where it's like the Call of Duty Mechanics – but it's just a battle royale title, and we just see how that goes. I, that's the kind of thing I kind of wish Call of Duty would do more of. Where, I, as much as Spanish. I do like the, these, you know, the yearly games and the rotation and stuff, I do kind of wish they would think outside the box a little bit and just maybe do some kind of experimental projects like that. In in a way, I've never really seen them attempt. Well, I think that you you could qualify Call of Duty Online as kind of that for the Chinese market. Yeah. I guess that's more of a, just uh, we need to design something specifically for China because right. they're, they're so much different than the rest of the world and how they consume things. But right. Right. Yeah. No, that would be interesting. I think, I think that the problems you run into with call of duty specifically is, you know, unlike like a battlefield, which already employs such big maps, you know, call of duty maps are built with the concept of lanes and choke points and they, they work because they flow. 
you know, every Call of Duty map, good or bad, has some design flow to it. And, you know, are you, you going to go down the middle? Are you going to flank? Are you, you know, you get into these, you know, sort of boxed in areas, you have sort of overwatch areas. So there's, that's hard to sort of translate to a great big huge map, and they're all you know it's also very team based. So you know battle royales are okay though, so like, I, I look at a game like Far Cry, and that's essentially how I would picture. Like, mm-hmm. I, could, I would love to play a Far Cry with essentially the, the shooting feel and controls and weaponry of a Call of Duty, yeah. and because totally. the Far Cry games are, are fun, but the, I find them pretty clunky, and I just every time I'm playing them, I'm like, I, I wish this was <laughs> more similar to Call of Duty. So like before the whole Battle Royale thing, I was I was hoping for someday we might get a Call of Duty open world game that's more yeah. about exploration and like when that oh, was all the rage. Yeah. But I, you know, again, that never really happened. I don't know if it ever will, but I I still feel like I, I get what you're saying about map design and how it is kind of key to the whole experience. But I, I do think the shooting mechanics are just so fundamentally great that I think it could translate to different types of maps and modes yeah. in a way that we haven't really seen before. And I'd, I'd love to see them play around with that. It's just where would they find the time <laughs> and like who would yeah. make that game? And like, they don't want to like, at this point, they don't want to step off their existing rotation because it's just too profitable. Yeah. It's printing money. Yeah, so I, I kind of doubt we'll see that. It would, it would just be fun to kind of imagine. No, and I, th- I think also, like you said, it'd be fun to have a Far Cry style open world Call of Duty campaign. That would be because it's it's true. Whatever else you want to say about Call of Duty and and the, its shortcomings, the shooting feels great. It always feels great, um, and and not a lot of games can can pull that off. You know, that's what sets it apart more than anything. I think is just that. You know, I don't know. Like when you get a headshot and. Hear that clink sound, you know? There's just something about it. They get, they get it. They get the the precision and the the sound effects, and they get it all down in a way that, yeah, far something like Far Cry feels a little more clunky. Um, yeah. I, I mean, some other games do it pretty well. I haven't played Rainbow Six Siege in a while, but I thought it had really good shooting. Um, it must, given how how much everyone loves that game. I've I barely know. played that, but man, that is it scares continually me. <laughs> one of the most impressive, yeah, one of the most impressive titles on the market with how well that's yeah. done. They've really, they've really done a great job supporting that game, and uh, I need to jump. I keep on telling myself, "All right, I'm going to jump back in," but I, I get scared because <laughs> I know that the people who've been playing it for the last two and a half years are they know the maps, yeah, exactly. they know the tactics, they they work really well as teams, and I'm like, I don't even know what I would do. In That's that what game. I feel with so many games now. Like I missed the first what two or three months of Fortnite, and I'm jumping in. I'm like, ah, I don't know <laughs> what's, <laughs> yeah. what's going on. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fortnite. I, I just, I can't, I'm not a bit big into the building stuff, but I know that that's a huge yeah, part of the strategy so in that game. I'm like, all right, so. I can do a ramp that goes straight. <laughs> but then these, these people <laughs> yeah. like, we're like the top three people are building these like elaborate skyscrapers in seconds. Yeah. I'm like, what is happening? I can't. <laughs> I know. That's why overall, you know, I wrote a piece today where I said, I, I here's reasons to play Fortnite. It's mostly performance stuff because PUBG is much more my style of game. You know, it's about the shooting. It's about patience. Uh, I still haven't gotten first place, but I got second place. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten a couple seconds in both games. I've never won. But, yeah, uh, never won. I know I haven't gotten first in either game either, and that's okay. If I get up to like two or three, I'm I'm happy. That's a yeah. victory for me. <laughs> All right. Well, so uh, this 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 announcement for Black Ops Four came uh, today. Uh, you'll be listening to this podcast next week, so it'll be slightly older news. Uh, but we'll probably talk more about uh, the game once it comes out. So, yeah, stay tuned and thanks Seven for listening. To the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, and once once we hear more about it, too, just once the reveal. Yeah. Uh, 
once the reveal comes. So, all right. Well, thanks for listening. Take care. Take care. Take care. Take care. That's it for this episode of World. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast one. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. Hi, I'm Spencer Raskoff, the CEO of Zillow Group, and I have a new podcast here on Podcast One called Office Hours. Listen as I have one-on-one conversations with other CEOs. We have the kind of conversations that can only happen between peers, tackling tough questions, sharing hard-won insights, and helping to define what leadership means today. Join me twice a month on Office Hours, exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the new Podcast One app. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At the border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is... Tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.